If you're looking for great Christian content, we want to encourage you to check out peachtreepress.org. Peachtree Press LLC offers digital products, journals, books, Bible study guides, sermon outlines, Christian blogs, and church notebooks for children and adults. Some products are also available as print on demand. Peachtree Press is a sponsor of this program and a partner in offering authentic Christian content. For more information, check out peachtreepress.org. Welcome back, rappers, to our fourth season of the Ray Reynolds Rap Podcast. If you haven't already done it, please hit that subscribe button or follow us for content on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and YouTube. Also, check out our website at rayreynoldsrap.com for sermons, weekly blogs, books, study guides, and lots of free stuff. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you enjoy today's program. A few weeks ago, I was invited to the Jefferson Avenue Church of Christ in Cookville, Tennessee, to be a part of a panel uh, over the course of a few weeks that deal with sexual identity. And uh, specifically, we were talking about the struggles with uh, the issues today and transgenderism and just some things that are pressing in our culture. And so I wanted to preface this particular podcast with the fact that if you do have little ears listening, just be attentive to that. I don't think there's anything, in my opinion, that's going to just absolutely... um, rock their world, but there may be some subject matter that may cause you to have a little bit of a longer conversation with your child in the near future. Uh, I do think that it's appropriate for teenagers to hear this. In fact, it was delivered for the purpose of giving uh, parents and teens uh, some talking points to help them deal with this very difficult subject. And so I look forward to sharing it with you and also get your feedback on this particular message, which we have entitled Sexual Identity and Your Teenager. I hope you enjoy it. to be with you tonight. Thank you so much for having Missy and I here with you to spend this time in um, a very difficult subject. You know, I spoke at a uh, a young men's uh, event. It was for teenage boys at University Church in Montgomery once, and it was called Men of Valor. And so the ladies were at Dalreda, and all the boys were at university. And so uh, they gave me the subject of talking about sex and pornography. And so I have you know, 50, 60 teenage boys in there. And as I started, I said, I'm going to first start with the one word you all want to hear. Fire! You know, because they probably didn't want to be in there to hear that topic. But anyways, uh, we discussed some things that were very sensitive there. And it's obviously a topic that uh, with our uh, fellowship, uh, we need to be very open and discuss because in many different religious groups, especially when you're thinking about denominationalism, there is some splits that are going on right now. Uh, between various denominational groups about how to handle the subject matter that we're going to talk about today. And uh, specifically, we're going to focus in on how to talk to your teenager about this issue. But to kind of help us get uh, some framework, I want to reiterate a couple things that were mentioned in the two previous uh, sessions. Caleb, a couple weeks ago, started off with some terminology, uh, explaining what the words mean, what it means to experience gender dysphoria, uh, how transgenderism is, was defined as a mental health issue until recently, and I think that's a very important point to, to note. Uh, he also noticed that some struggle with gender dysphoria, and it, at that time, when you're struggling with it, it doesn't mean that it's a sin, it's a temptation that uh, you may go down that road. So it's just like when we think about things, I used to have an elder that told us one time, he said, it's okay if the birds fly around your head, just don't let them nest in your hair. And I like that illustration. Temptation is temptation. We all experience it. Jesus did. Um, But to dwell on it, to participate in it, would be the sin. So the problem here is when individuals will uh, not just think about this, but actually act on um, this particular issue. Uh, He also did a great job of explaining how God created us with certain hardware. Uh, We have, uh, guys have hardware, girls have plumbing, so it's a, I love the way he did that, it was a great way to explain it, in case there's some younger people that will watch this online. Uh, And as he explained it, he talked about it's a natural fact of life and creation in Genesis 2. Uh, After the creation of each individual thing in chapter 1, it says God is good, God is good, God sees it as good. But then when he sees man alone, he says it's not good that man be alone, and he created Eve and gave them the objective to procreate, or for creation, procreation. Transgenderism takes that away. 
There is no way to procreate if you remove uh, the, uh, the ability, if you will, to procreate. The Methodist denomination is an example. They're currently splitting over this issue because there is a large group that say we want to include people who are transgender or gay or lesbian to be part of the priesthood or the leadership. And so we see this happening. And of course, uh, I've had people say, well, it's not going to happen in the church of Christ. You know, we're not going to see this as an issue. And I can tell you, based on what you've already studied the last couple weeks, it's happening in South Alabama where we live. I was at a men's uh, or a preacher's meeting last Thursday, and one of our preachers from Mobile, uh, when our, one of our elders told them that I was coming to speak on this, he said, I need to talk to you in just a minute. And we went to college together, so we're friends. And he said, we have an issue now where um, there was a, a woman that came into our fellowship. Uh, we taught her, we baptized her, uh, and then found out that she was really a man. And so through the conversion process, she, he had already had undergone certain procedures. And now that he is transitioning back to a man, uh, they need help on the table. You know where this is going? They need men to wait on the table. And here he is saying, I'm willing to help. But the people in the audience can't see him as a him because they first knew him as a her. And so this is certainly something we say, well, it's not going to happen. It will happen. Uh, we're seeing it in our schools. You're probably seeing it in businesses and places where you work. Uh, so it's not a hypothesis. It's, it's actually what is happening. It's not just that it's an idea or something like that. It's actually a fact. And Caleb also shared some scriptures to show us that creation has distinctive male and female species. Uh, then Jesse came last week and talked about the necessity of communication, especially with elementary children, uh, addressing the how and when to talk to them. We already know the why. Uh, he also stated that every child is different, so you really need to know the maturity level of your child. I think that goes back to Proverbs 22 and verse 6, when it says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. James Meadows was asked once at a polish in the pulpit I was at, what's the most important part of that verse? And some said, well, it's training, train up the child. And then it's, no, it's the way, the way he should go. And then the others said, well, no, it's that he won't depart from it. And Brother Meadows very calmly said, no, the most important part of that verse is the word that's repeated over and over. Train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. And that is that you know your child and you know we, they know how to push our buttons. Okay. And we know how to push their buttons. We know exactly when our child's about to pop, you know, when they're going to, they're going to act out. And so you should know your child's mental level of conversation that you can say some things some some conversations are just it's too soon but he did say that they are impressionable uh, they may be mentally incapable of learning the terminology but they they do have kids that go to school with them if they're in public school uh, that have two moms or two dads or maybe two stepmoms or something like that so these are conversations that they're having and we can offer uh, hopefully a very simple christ-like approach to talk to people about this issue. Now I'm going to build on that, uh, but what I want to do is I'm going to start with just some, some statistics. Uh, as Andy mentioned, Misty and I a few months ago, uh, it's actually been probably six months ago now, we, our elders asked us to participate in uh, mental health training. So we went to a seminar learning how to do youth uh, first aid for mental health. And I actually brought the textbook with me if you want to see it. And you can get trained to do this. I encourage people to do this. We did it primarily because we had uh, people that we were very close to, teenagers that we were close to that were practicing self-harm and one took her life. So as a church, we said we've got to step up and do something about it. And so some of the things I'll share with you tonight are things that we learned in, those, um, in, the, in that seminar. Have anybody heard of the Trevor Project? Anybody? Trevor Project? Okay, if you've heard about the Trevor Project, what they did, and I can tell that the, it looks good here. Um, they're on the corner, uh, here on the right-hand corner is a QR code, and if you'd like to learn the statistics in addition to what I'm going to share with you tonight, uh, you can scan that code and it'll take you to the Trevor Project's uh, website. What they did was they took 34,000 LGBTQIA+, I keep adding letters, 
they interviewed 34,000 of these young people, and this is from ages 13 to 24 in the United States, and they said, we, we want to poll this group and talk about uh, your feelings about transgenderism and how you have transitioned regardless of where they are, what uh, gender, or if they're non-binary, or we have furries now. Um, these individuals, what do you think about the situation that you're in? So they started with asking a question like this. Uh, why did you decide? Now, if this doesn't alarm you as we start tonight, I don't know what will. During the pandemic, they asked these kids, what made you decide to come out as transgender or to switch your genders or to become non-binary or to become a furry? What made you what influenced you to make that decision? 89% said they were influenced by TV, movies, music, or some kind of a celebrity that influenced them to go through radical reconstructive surgery, to reassign their gender, to change their name, to change their appearance. 89% of 34,000 are influenced by culture. So this is not a, obviously, if you look at that statistic, it's not that they woke up one morning and said, you know what, I just decided that I've been in the wrong body my whole life. Most of it is because this is a trend. And as we know, fads change. Now, fads will come back around. You know, it used to be, I remember as a teenager, if you wore bell-bottoms, something was wrong with you. You know, that was, those are parents that wore them. Now today, you can't get enough at the vintage stores. I mean, if there's certain fads and trends that will fade out. Unfortunately, children in some states, including Washington State, passed just about three weeks ago, the ability for your child to make a decision about their body, and we're not just talking about abortion, that's a totally different issue, they can have gender reconstructive surgery without a parental consent. And that's where we are in our culture, is that we believe that a 13-year-old child knows better about their body and their future than the adult does. Now I can tell you that there are video after video, there's videos, books written by people who have gone through gender reassignment surgeries that completely regret their decision, but there is absolutely nothing that they can do about it. Imagine having your child come home one day and say, you know, I wasn't staying at my friend's house this weekend. On Friday, I had surgery and you're gonna change my name. So that's not gonna happen to my child 34,000 of these kids were polled and 89% said the culture influenced me to do it. It wasn't that they felt that way in the beginning, it's that someone else popular did it and they followed the fad. 82% of those polled wanted mental health care, but only 60% were able to get the assistance and maybe that's because some parental involvement kept them from that. 73% reported having anxiety, 58% depression, 48% feared mental health concerns in the future that might not be addressed because their parent is not supportive of their gender reassignment. 45% considered suicide and 14% actually attempted suicide during the time that this poll was taken. 36% said they had been physically threatened or harmed if they changed their gender or reassigned their, um, their gender. Uh, this happens in our schools, it happens in Foley where we live. I have a 16-year-old sophomore at Foley High School, and there are two kids there that decided that they were gonna come to school dressed as cats. They were furries. And they licked their paws. You can see them on the parking lot after school. They lick on each other. And this is normal for a lot of high schools. Uh, I've heard these stories about people putting litter boxes in the bathrooms. And, uh, most every time that has been brought up at a board meeting, it has been debunked. But, uh, but there, is a, there is a growing trend to allow children to have litter boxes in the classrooms and in the bathrooms because they've decided that they are now furry and they will wear the ears and dress in the clothes and everything like that. I love the story of the dad though that his daughter came home and said, I'm a furry now and he put a cat bowl down on the ground and said, you eat cat food then. Uh, but it, it is a shock to our system that our kids are choosing to do this, but this is why they do it. Uh, Two-fifths of those reported living in a gender-affirming school or community so that when they changed, everybody was supportive of it. Uh, but uh, less than a third said they lived in a house where it was affirmed. So they're still gonna call their child by the name that they were given or the gender that they were given. 
This is the CDC. Now, just like I did with the Trevor Project, you can uh, go to the CDC. Here's another QR code. If you'd like to see their statistics on this, and I'll be brief, 7.1% of people currently living in America identify as LGBTQIA. That was in 2002 or 2022. Uh, 10 years prior, they did a similar one, and they found that in 2022, it had more than doubled. So it's not, uh, it's not just a very small minority, it's still a minority of our population, but it's not as small as it once was. One in five youth, ages 13 to 18, live with a mental health condition, and many times it's because of these types of situations that they have, that's been thrust upon them. 10% of children from three to 17 have diagnosed anxiety or depression, so if they are identifying as a different gender than the way they were born, uh, it only adds more to that. Suicide is the number two leading cause of death for ages 10 to 24. We learned that at uh, our course or seminar we took. 47% of LGBTQ people have attempted suicide. Now that's a higher number than what the Trevor Project gives us, and they say nearly half of them have attempted suicide. There are at least 16 different forms of self-injury that their group they polled said that they had practiced. Uh, 2.3 million teens had at least one depressive episode each year, nearly 10% of our kids, so you can see how that is elevated for those that, that are LGBTQI. 95% um, have a smartphone, 45% say they're on it constantly. And so they are influenced by uh, social media individuals. In fact, I asked our teenagers the other day, I said, what do you want to be? You know, what is your goal? Um, I said this in my podcast, I got a little heat from some people about it, but I said if you ask 90% of the kids today in high school what they want to do with the rest of their life, they'll say, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know, they don't know. And I'm not sure that I knew either when I was 16, 17 years old. But imagine, uh, when, when you look at these statistics and start seeing, seeing all these things, imagine if they say to you, and I heard this with our kids, I just want to be an influencer. That's what I want to be. Okay, tell me what that looks like. Well, I'm gonna have a huge following on social media. Well, how are you gonna get that? Well, I don't know. And then I'm gonna get products, and I'm gonna wear them, and the girls are gonna do the makeup tutorials, and the guys are gonna wear the cakes and everything, and they say, oh, I'm just gonna get all these followers to follow me, and then they'll just, somebody somewhere is gonna pay me millions of dollars to be an influencer. Well, good luck with that. That's not the way it happens. So a lot of young people are so focused on culture and on social media, that there is a direct disconnect to reality, which is the reason why this is such a problem, is that they're influenced by social media, by culture, that this is the fad going on right now, and that's what you need to do. And if not, you're at least supportive of people who have done this. Uh, in 2019, there were 13 peer-reviewed research studies, and some of that's on this website, that say mental health was negatively impacted by social media. I don't think it takes a rocket scientist and 13 different research studies to tell us that, that our young people are heavily influenced by the things that they watch and the things that they listen to. So to be fair tonight, before we get into a practical part, I wanna give you some thoughts from scripture. Just, this will take just a few minutes. The first thing is, uh, when we think about transgenderism and gender dysphoria, what does the Bible say? Well, God has a purpose in creating us male and female. There's a reason why God didn't create us with multiple genders. He created us to procreate, to be for the creation of other individuals. That was the beginning, uh, and it continues to this day. There was also a plan regarding sexuality. Uh, not only is it mentioned in the garden, but Jesus addresses this in Matthew 19. As he says, what God has put together, let not man tear asunder. So God has specifically designed marriage to be between a man and a woman, between the two genders, the only two genders. God's perspective to, regarding sexuality is very simple. And, uh, you know, we can go to 2 Peter, we can go to uh, Genesis, we can go to Matthew 19, and God has intended for us to have that companionship with someone of the opposite sex. God's power concerning sexuality is to bring together two individuals so that they might be able to share companionship and also to procreate. So we know what God thinks. It's pretty simple how he feels about gender. 
Uh, what does the Bible say? I'll give you a few examples. So in the Old Testament law, it's very harsh. In fact, anybody who's read the Old Testament, especially Leviticus, Deuteronomy, they know that the Bible specifically states that if someone practices homosexuality, they are to be put to death. Now, Deuteronomy 22 and verse 5 takes it a step further. Moses says, if a man dresses as a woman, or if a woman dresses as a man, they are to immediately be put to death. It was an offensive stoning. The same as adultery. The same as murder. It was the same consequence. The New Testament also talks a little bit about these laws, again, about how homosexuality and such is wrong. But Paul will also say to the church in Romans, and he says this to the Corinthians as well, that there were individuals within the congregations that he preached to that had at one time practiced homosexuality. What about the environmental and cultural factors? Well, again, looking at 1 Corinthians, Paul says, and such were some of you. So the members of his congregation where he preached, some of them had practiced, so it's not new, some of them had practiced uh, homosexuality and such. And it is, it is qualified and categorized as ungodly behavior. It is not right naturally. It is not right for physical reasons. It's really terrible for your health. But also, uh, when we talk to people about this, they get worked up emotionally. And we'll talk about the emotional aspect in a second. But the best case is physical descriptions, physical conversations. It's not good that you practice this. You will harm your body. And Paul says that in Romans. You will harm yourself if you practice these particular things. And that's a great way to start in a conversation with your teenager, is you are created to function a certain way. And if you go against nature, it will hurt you physically. Not even saying the mental aspect, uh, not even talking about the spiritual aspect, but physically, it will hurt you. All right, now let's get to the meat. As we talk about how to talk to our teenagers, I want to share with you some thoughts. We're going to use some scripture as well. But to try to help us uh, wrap our minds around this subject and how to have an honest, biblical conversation with our young people. And I'm going to start somewhere where you probably, I, I know the other two speakers didn't do this. This is where I start when I'm talking to teenagers. The first thing we say is, oh, it's disgusting. It's disgusting. It's it's awful. Or we will laugh, you know, when they come home and say, my best friend's decided to be a furry. And you'd be like, really? Well, we'll get the dog bed or cat bed from, uh, you know, Costco next time they're here. Um, we, we laugh at it. We make jokes about it. Uh, we, don't, we don't really take it as seriously as our, our children do. So let me give you an example of where to start. There are individuals in the Bible that went through gender reconstructive surgery. I'll start with Acts chapter 8. In Acts 8, Philip is called to run up alongside of a chariot, and he teaches a man. What's his name? We don't know. All we know about him is he is the Ethiopian eunuch. That means that this man, who would be converted to Christ, would go back and start the first great church in Africa and lead to now what is the Coptic Christian movement had reconstructive surgery. I can tell you, based on what we know from Egyptian history, it was an elective surgery. In order to serve Candace the queen, anyone who was in royalty, a king or a queen, go back and read Esther. Esther's uh, servants were eunuchs. And so this man had gone through a reconstructive surgery to remove part of his body to serve Candace the queen. He was literally the treasurer of the queen's court. So if we start saying, well, this is not something that's biblical, I know you're probably thinking that doesn't mean he became a woman. I, I, get, I get that. But just bear with me. Imagine how Christians in Jerusalem would have responded. You remember what happened when Saul of Tarsus was converted, Acts 9? Man, he's so excited. He's on fire for the Lord. He is ready to go back to Jerusalem and tell him he was once a pillar of Christians, a persecutor. And now he is fully immersed in Christ and so excited in his faith. The apostles would not let him place membership. 
with the church in Jerusalem. They basically ran him off. They did not believe his story or feared his uh, influence. And so he went back to Tarshish and he stayed at Tarshish and he stayed there until Barnabas has him recalled for mission work. So imagine the Ethiopian eunuch, that's all we know about him, is he had reconstructive surgery, comes to Jerusalem and wants to preach. Or he wants to go back to his home country and start a church, which he did. How would we respond? Well, obviously, it was optimistic. They saw it as a wonderful thing, that he was able to do great things for the cause of Christ despite being surgically altered. I'll go you one better than that. In the Old Testament, one of the most beloved characters that we teach our children is Daniel and the lion's den. Now what we know, not just from the biblical narrative, but from history, that when the Babylonians took individuals captive and made them wise men, they treated them like servants. They would have been made eunuchs. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and probably other characters that we've taught our children for years were made eunuchs, not by their own choice, mind you, but they were surgically altered to serve a purpose. When you're having a conversation with young people, think about this, just, just think about this, is that there are Bible characters who despite what they did with their gender or were forced upon them and their gender, were able to do great things in the kingdom. So it is possible, very possible, it's obviously biblically proven that individuals can come back from a situation like that and do something amazing for God. Uh, Matthew 19, Jesus talks about eunuchs. He says, some are made eunuchs by men, some choose it electively. Uh, you may do it for social reasons or whatever. And I know, again, some of you are probably thinking, it's a little different, right? It's a little different. But it really, really isn't. They had been altered. So when an individual comes to us, and you may have a friend, a family member, or your children will have a, a friend at school, what should we do? Well, so the first thing we need to do is we need to be considerate to know that that child, that teenager, has learned something, whether it be from culture or from their environment in their home, that has caused them to make this decision. They probably didn't make it lightly. It was thought about. It was really considered heavily before they chose it. Sometimes it is a quick decision, but usually they've given it a lot of thought. They will even in the name choice put a lot of consideration into what they want to be called. So we need to be considerate. The second thing we need to do is we need to be calm. When your child tells you that they're struggling, gender dysphoria, thinking about transgenderism because of a friend or somebody else, you need to be calm. What the world sees from Christianity is arrogance. And in arrogance, there's ignorance. We need to be educated. We need to know that when our child comes to us, we don't panic. I'll give you an example. A good friend of mine, his son, called him laughing. He said, I've got to tell you something. It's hilarious. It scared me to death, but it's hilarious. And he's an elder of the church, preacher. And he says, what is it? What happened? And he said, well, he said, my son came in. He's six years old. And he says, Dad, what's sex? And he's just like, okay, wait, 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 what'd you say? He goes, what's sex? And he froze for a minute, and he calmed himself, and he said, well, um, why do you want to know? And he said, because Mom said dinner will be ready in a few secs. <laughs> we can overreact and make the problem much worse. If we overreact, to a conversation, our child will not have a healthy conversation with us for a long time. You need to listen and be calm. Hear their side. Listen to their approach. You don't need to immediately go, well, you know that's biblically wrong. You go to hell if you do that. That reaction has not helped the church in other topics and themes. So in this issue, gender is so personal, just be calm and listen. And by doing that, you offer an opportunity. Remember, uh, Philippians is a great example. Be anxious in nothing. By everything, by prayer and supplication, make your request known to God. Cautious, prayerful. The next one is to be confident, to know that when you have a conversation with someone, you are educated in it. I do not claim 
to know how to work on vehicles. My dad taught me how to change the oil, change the wiper blades, do all that kind of stuff, tires. So I decided not long ago I was going to buy me a little MGV Midget, 1976, a little, little red sports car. I got it for dirt cheap, and I know why. I realized that I didn't know how to work on this car. I've called every friend I have. I've had three guys at the house to work on it, and we figured out that probably I put the points in wrong. I was watching a YouTube video, thought I could figure it out, and I did it wrong. When you have a conversation with someone and you don't have the appropriate information, you look foolish. Even if you're doing the right thing, even if you are morally correct, you can approach it wrong. You can be right and do it in the wrong way. So be confident when you have this conversation that you've done your research, you've thought about it, you've prayerfully considered it, you have not just statistics, but some very, very careful, considerate questions. Another one is to be compassionate. Individuals who've gone through or are struggling with gender dysphoria and, and transgenderism, all these things that we're talking about, uh, they are being teased by their friends. They may be ostracized from their family. There's probably not a one of us in here that could raise our hand to say that there isn't someone in our family who is practicing homosexual or is uh, currently with someone, is a, a roommate, a neighbor, maybe even a, an extended family member. I have a, a stepsister, I have two first cousins that are homosexuals. That's the lifestyle that they've chose. It's very difficult when we get around them because there's conversations that we don't like to have but you have to be compassionate and loving. Remember to practice all things in love. And we'll get to that at the last point here in a minute. And I'll try to leave some time. How much time I got? 30 minutes. 15 minutes. Okay. I'll move quick. You said 30. I heard 30. Uh, be compelled. Be compelled to have the conversation. Don't wait and expect somebody else to say it. If anything... Without lecturing, just listen. Why do you feel this way? You know, why, why is this a consideration of yours? Why, why is this happening? If it's someone else in your home, just listen with compassion as much as you can. Uh, people do not react well to lectures. They don't react well to preaching. Uh, we've heard for years, I'd rather see a sermon any day than hear one. Jesus' most powerful examples of his life were not preaching. They were helping individuals that were prostitutes, that were beggars, that were lepers. He ministered to people with compassion. He fed them first before he tried to teach them. The worst thing that we can do is to go out and start screaming at the top of our lungs how evil this is. And it is. This is an evil practice. There are some things about the things we're talking about here that are it's sin. But be compassionate and be compelled to have that conversation and be cautious. Uh, I love Galatians 6, 1 and 2. Where Paul says, uh, you know, to, to basically in, in, uh, in compassion and gentleness approach someone and gentleness express and then be communicating. Uh, we've got to communicate in love, have a conversation in a loving way, and I know we had handouts. Do we, do we have those handouts? I totally forgot about that. Yeah, they're somewhere. That doesn't help us, but. Be a person who communicates. Talk to your children. Talk to your teenagers because they're already talking to someone else. They're talking to their teachers. They're talking to their friends. They're watching things on social media. There needs to be a very careful, considerate, cautious conversation in love to be able to help calm the situation. In fact, more than likely, and we don't really give our children enough credit for the persecution that they endure for just going to church. Regardless of their faith and what they believe about the Bible or how often they pray, they're persecuted for just going to church. It's, and it's one of those things that you... You know that when your child plays on a sports team and there's a practice or a game on Wednesday night, you have this moral dilemma. Do I send him to church? Do I let him play? And then the kids are like, oh, they're not going to let him play baseball in the All-Stars because he's got to go to church. So there's persecution on all sides. So when you teach your children what is right from wrong, there's going to be conflict. And they're going to most times side with their friends 
because they're around them a whole lot more than they are us. Usually nowadays we're, you know, got the phone in front of our face. And so communicate, communicate. Uh, there's a whole lot more we can say about that, but Ephesians 4 verse 15 says to teach the truth in love. Now, I know we didn't have a lot of time last week, uh, so I'm going to take the next 10 minutes or so to answer any questions. Be gentle, but uh, if you have a question, I will do my best to answer it. I will tell you I'm not an expert in all fields, but do you have any questions? Yes? Tomboys, absolutely. Uh, we, we oftentimes will, in fact, one of the reasons why a lot of people will change their genders is because we do tease from time to time. We will, if, a, if a guy even has the remote feminine characteristic, we say they're effeminate, okay? They will be teased immediately. We've seen that in our own family. We've seen that with our own kids and kids in our church. It's like, oh, he must be gay. He must be gay. Or if she's a tomboy, well, she, she's probably a lesbian. So that's not fair. Uh, we don't like to be labeled like that. And praise God, our Heavenly Father doesn't label us for the characteristics and sins that we've committed. Uh, he loves us exactly the way we are. Yes, go ahead. Yeah, she'll grow out of it. And, you know, it used to be that a lot of times uh, our, we would, I know from my, my point of view, uh, all the kids on my block were boys. So we played baseball, we rode our bicycles. But you do have oftentimes girls that are raised around only boys. And so they have those characteristics. They like to play softball. They like to play in the mud. I, I know some girls that would be better football players than a couple of my kids. Um, and I have three that have played football. Four, no, three that have played football. I mean, I know some tough girls. Um, you wouldn't want to wrestle. Uh, what else? Some more questions? Yeah, go ahead. You spoke a lot about how we help our teens make up wrestlers. What about equipping our teens to deal with this in their schools? Yes. In their teachers, in their peers? What advice do we have for that? That's a great, great question. From a parental perspective, we've covered that. So, from a teenage perspective, I'm going to use an example with some of the guys here. Any of you guys really confident you're okay with me talking to you? You're looking at me like, no. You okay with it? All right, come here, come here. All right, so let's say my friend here, what's your name? Ethan. Okay, so Ethan is uh, questioning his gender. All right? All right? My conversation with him is, you know God loves you, right? I mean, he loves you. God loves you enough he sent Jesus to die on the cross for you. And God adores you. He loves you just the way you are. He made you the way you are. Any characteristics that you have or mannerisms you have are because that's what God's created. So if you're questioning this, uh, it's almost like a questioning, if your nature is being questioned, you're questioning the creator. So what I can do is say to you, you know that God loves you all the time. God loves you. He loves you the way you are. He's made you just the way you are. And so if you continue to build up that positivity and you do this with your friends, Constantly be positive that when they have that negative conversation, you'll be the one they come to because they know that you have such a positive, joyful, happy spirit. They might have some deep conversation. Now, if if Ethan says, I'm not comfortable talking about this, that you're a teenager, you encourage your teenagers to do this, go, that's okay. I just want to know you love. And anytime you want to talk to me, you are welcome to talk to me. And I promise this is important. I'm not going to judge you. I'm not going to judge you. I'm not going to condemn you. Jesus taught the woman in adultery. Remember that, John 8? He says, woman, where are your accusers? And they're gone. And he says, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. What we have to do is prepare the heart before we prepare the mind. We tell them, God loves you. You're going to be fine. We'll get through this. Hey, anytime you need to talk and pray, I'm here for you. I'm here for you. And he will more than likely talk to me again about that. The friends are like, oh, you've got something wrong with you. You know, you were made a boy. Do you not know you were made a boy? You know, he, he's, he's gay. We all know he's gay. And they tease and they make fun of him. What's he going to do? He's going to resort inside himself. He's not going to talk to anybody. He's going to have depression. He's going to have anxiety. He's going to think he's hated. But as a Christian teenager, he should know that this relationship is one of love and admiration, that I have his best interest at heart. You want to talk to me about what you're struggling with? It's the same thing. Pornography, alcoholism, drug addiction, you name it. Our Christian 
children, our teenagers, are the best evangelists that we will ever see. They're bold. They'll talk about stuff openly. They're not critical and judgmental. And so encourage your teenager to do that so that you can have these conversations, right? Good job. I didn't embarrass you too much. So let your children know they are the light of the world. Don't put too much pressure on them. Well, you, did you tell them that that was wrong? No. Remind them that he's loved. That, that, or that girl is loved. I'm here for you when you want to talk. We ought to be the counselors. Yes, ma'am. Yes, if the parents are atheists, it's one of the reasons why I have a good friend I went to high school with. Uh, she declared she was an atheist. Uh, her husband took his own life, and now both of her daughters are transgender. And a lot of it comes back to when she made a statement to the family, I'm giving up on God. Uh, have any of you seen the movie God's Not Dead? Okay. There's a lot of Christian-based Christian-based movies. And uh, the idea is the professor obviously gets really ticked off because he doesn't think God answers his prayer. When we encounter people that are atheists or even agnostic, they welcome this because it is in the face of Christianity. It's in the face of God that God, God is not going to tolerate this. Let's make those Christians angry. You, you take, go anywhere you want and uh, you see these Westboro Baptist people out there with their signs and they're yelling and throwing stuff at people. And you have the homosexual movement or the, the pro-choice movement that they'll be out there with their signs and yelling and screaming. We ought to be somewhere in the middle. Jesus, first of all, I don't go camping and I don't sleep in the room with people that make me uncomfortable. I slept in the same room with my brother for years. I took me a while to go to sleep. I had to know he was asleep before I went to sleep. I was afraid he was going to do something to me. Jesus slept on the ground and ate at the table with Judas Iscariot for three and a half years, knowing he would betray. Be loving to people. Do not immediately chastise, judge, or condemn because anybody can change. Anybody. Yeah. That's exactly right. And there is that balance because we have, we, we will tell people if we, especially when I was a, yeah, he was talking about from, especially he has little, but he's talking about for teenage perspectives. You know, if we tell our teenagers they need to be evangelistic and loving to groups of people, are we worried about their influence that they might have on them? Because it goes both ways. We have to prepare our children. First of all, if you hear nothing else tonight, cut your teenagers a little bit of slack. Just a little bit of slack. They are struggling with stress that we don't even know about, and they will not talk to you about it. Just cut them a little bit of slack, just a little bit. We need to empower them. We also need to warn them that sometimes being around worldly people, those influences will come back upon you. And so there is a danger. I've heard people say, you know, and I, we did this, we homeschooled our kids. We would pull them out of public school, we said we're gonna homeschool them, we're gonna shelter them. The moment they get out on their own, they experience a whole new world of things. And they don't, they don't know this world. They don't know these people. And so our children need to be light, and we feed them the flame. We introduce them to Jesus. We talk about the Bible. We talk about the church. And we feed them as much as we can spirituality. Will our children be influenced negatively? Probably. They probably will. But your child is probably, and I know this is, a lot, this is heavy, but they probably are the best possible influence on that child's life. For Christ, there is no one else. They're not going to go sit in a church building. They're not going to go to vacation Bible school. So our teens are empowered and they are loved. But we also give them a, you give them a little bit of rope. Even though you know if you give them an inch, they'll take a mile, right? 
Give him a little bit of rope. Tell them, be a friend to him or to her. Warn them about the dangers of it, but encourage it. And I'm not saying that if they have a, a child that has changed genders, you go, hey, you go be their best friend. But somebody's got to love on that child. And your son or daughter may be the only person in the whole world that can reach him for Christ. So be patient and calm and considerate. And let them do their best work. Because our evangelists, our greatest evangelists are our teenagers. Yeah. Five minutes? Cool. We're doing great. All right. What are the questions you have? Anybody? Yeah, go ahead. Right. Good question. Some children will say, I felt I've been in the wrong body my whole life. I am a big believer in humor. I believe that humor is an excellent way to diffuse difficult situations. Much to my wife's dismay, I am constantly trying to insert humor in the conversation. I had a blast tonight eating across the table from Riley. She was awesome. And Benjamin was on the other side, but I got to talk to her. So it was pretty cool having this conversation with her. We talked about my little duck. I have a duck, Melchizedek. Um, if you follow me on social media. So Melchizedek takes pictures everywhere we go, signs, so forth. He took a picture here at the church. He doesn't have his own Instagram page. Don't worry about that. But humor can diffuse it. So what I would say if a child comes to me and says, I feel like I have been in the wrong body, I tell them this true story. When I was about eight years old, nine years old, um, in my, back in my day, uh, we didn't have a lot of movies, superhero movies and stuff, but we didn't have comic books and we had cartoons. And I was absolutely convinced when my brother and I played Superman and Batman that we were Superman and Batman. He was always Superman. So he got to pretend he was flying. My grandma would tie little towels to our neck with a bobby pin. We'd go flying around in our underalls, you know, up there. And uh, one day I wanted to be Superman. We had gone back to our house, so I tied the red cape to my neck, and I got up on top of the chicken coop, which then got up on top of the garage, and I won and two and flew to the moon, right? Now, by the way, fat boys bounce. <laughs> I hit the ground. I didn't break a rib, but I sure broke my spirit. But I was convinced. You could not convince me otherwise that I couldn't fly. I could fly. I believed in myself. We got one of our boys. He believed he was Santa Claus for several months. He was the Santa Claus. Got to fight on the playground because he thought he was Santa. He knows he's not Santa. But at that time, he was convinced he was. And you could not convince him otherwise. With humor, tell a story like that. There are oftentimes things that we want to be, we desire to be. But we will never be that. If they have any semblance of a creator. Go back to what I said to Ethan. God created you as a boy for a reason. He created you as a girl for a reason. Celebrate your individuality. The greatest tragedy of this movement is not stealing the rainbow from us. The greatest tragedy of this movement is removing years and years of what women have tried to build with their own gender, their own sports. They work hard at it. They work extremely hard to compete. And a boy can say one day, eh, I think I'm a girl, and can compete in women's sports and dominate every division. 20 years ago, you would have thought that never would happen. It's happening. And there are high schools that have to make choices if they're gonna have a female program at all. Because the girls ought to play with the boys because half the boys are girls now. So it removes Women, specifically, are created with a vast array of talents that we as men will never have. And there's a reason why they're not physically built the way that we're built. We celebrate the individuality of men, but we also celebrate the individuality of women. And by mixing the genders, you remove what they were created to be. You take a woman who's got five children, and she goes and works in the workplace. She misses her children. You can't help it. You can't help it. You love your kids uh, most of the time, but you, 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 you remove for them, you raise them. We'll get the postpartum depression that happens from women when they have a child in the back of the workplace. They miss that child because God created you to be a caretaker, to be a lover. Watch men. 
they will work for 50 years or 40 years at a job and retire. And they'll die a month later or two months later or six months later because their, their essence of who they are has been removed from them. I know a lot of men that have done that. Or men, when their wife dies, they follow right behind because they cannot survive. They know what their role is. And you have a God-given role, not just your gender, but your personality, your influence. He created you to be you. He did not create you to be somebody else. So love who you are. This is another problem, the self-esteem. I know we gotta wrap up. We have a huge self-esteem issue. Kids are born with buckets of self-esteem. You know, they think they're Santa Claus, you know. Fly off the roof. They were born with that. And we constantly knock them down. You can't be, you can't be, you can't be. This generation says, well, I'll be it whether you want me to or not. So encourage self-esteem. Every time, and I know it's hard because we get tired of handing trophies to every participation person. But we say to them, good job, you did wonderful, you did great. Good try, you can do it again. Keep encouraging, building up your children because the world's gonna tear them down. Your responsibility as a parent is to love them, to nurture them, to encourage them, to teach them, to train them, to move them, not to tear them down, not to abuse them, not to discourage, but to build them up, to be the child, to be the teen, to be the adult that God has from creation design them to be. We love our children. We teach them self-esteem so that they don't question who they are. We say, you know who you are. You know who you are. You know what you're capable of. And we build it up. So cut them a little slack. Just a little. Okay, that time's up, right? All right. Appreciate y'all being here. Uh, I want to close with a prayer and then we will dismiss. If you got any other questions, you can come and I'll be happy to share. Father God, we praise you for the day you've given us for the opportunity to share and to study such a difficult subject. We pray that you'll soften our hearts and help our minds to be secure, to show compassion and love to those that are struggling with this issue. And maybe even ourselves, some in this audience may be struggling with this, how to handle it, how to talk about it. Help us to see who you created us to be, to see ourselves through your eyes and not the eyes of our culture or even family members and friends. But who are we to you, Lord? Help us to look within that mirror and see the image that you've created us to be. And that's your image, Father. We pray your blessings upon this church family and the discussion that will happen next week as a result of these three weeks. Pray your blessings and your strength to be given to your children as we serve in this world. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you all so much. Thank you for tuning in to today's broadcast. Be sure to subscribe and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and YouTube. Also, visit our website at rayreynoldsrap.com. Dot com. If you'd like to contribute to the show, content suggestions, uh, questions, prayer requests, or even if you just want to reach out to us, you can email us at rayreynoldsrap at gmail.com. Have a great day as you seek to maintain an authentic life in Christ Jesus. To help you in your study of the Bible, we want to send you this Bible correspondence course. This course is non-denominational. It's based on the Bible. It's conducted by mail, and it's free. To receive this course, write to Getting to Know Your Bible, P.O. Box 314, Summerdale, Alabama, 36580, or call toll-free 1-877-711-5214.